if all you see is what's on the surface, are you really seeing what's going on? You know, or if you could see below the surface, could you really get a better idea of, of, of what's going on? And actually, could you make better sense of what you're seeing on the surface? I was reminded of this uh, quite a bit this last week. Um, you know, we talked some in the prayer request and, and about uh, how my dad is doing, how he had well, last week and he had a heart attack. And, and if you're just uh, joining into worship now, so he's doing well, he's recovering well. Actually, um, he's at home and uh, Sid, he's going to worship online with us this morning. So dad, good morning. Great to have you here at worship this morning. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been thinking about health a lot, a lot, you know, quite a bit this week and, and, and partways through the week, uh, there was a, a point and dad I could go ahead and share this. He had some dizziness during the week. And so we had to go back in and, and get some scans. And, and it was really, you know, apparent to me that this picture was really clear in front of me of how, you know, he had this dizziness. There's things you could see on the surface, but then when you get a test where they can scan and look deeper, you can get a better idea of what's going on. They found out that the dizziness wasn't something to be too concerned about. They gave him the proper medicine, and he continues now on his road to recovery. When we could look deeper with those scans, we could get a better idea of what was going on in his body and have a better understanding of what we were seeing on the outside. Now, if this is true when it comes to the doctor, and this is true when it comes to our physical bodies, how much more true is it when we think about our spiritual lives, like when we think about what we see with how God interacts with us, you know, we see things here in front of us, we see the surface, but if we could look deeper, what a better understanding we would have of what's actually going on with the way God interacts with us and with what God is doing in this world. You know, if we could look deeper at the things we see around us and look deeper at what happens in our day-to-day -day lives, how much more could we see and understand about what is happening, about how God relates with us and how God works? Which is why it's such a gift for us to have this lesson today where Jesus really encourages us and really empowers us to take a step ahead, to see more and to look deeper. Lesson we have, it's John chapter 7, verses 21 to 24. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all astonished. Yet because Jesus gave you, excuse me, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Now, with our lesson today, we are towards the latter end of Jesus' ministry. By this point, Jesus is well known for all of his teaching and his miracles, but he also is having a lot of enemies. There's a lot of confusion about him. People are knowing that he has been teaching all these different things. They've been seeing that he could do things like heal someone, uh, give sight to the blind, heal someone who was crippled, someone who was ill, uh, even bring people back to life, just amazing things like that. They've seen that he's been able to, to take just a bit of food and multiply it to feed thousands. But people aren't quite sure what to make of it. Some people are just excited because they see a healer, a miracle worker, and they see that immediate benefit he could bring them. Some people are wanting Jesus to become a, a, a social and political leader, and they want to make him a leader by force. Other people are really unhappy with Jesus because they're saying the way he's going about this, some of the things that he is doing don't mesh with how they think a person of God is supposed to work. They have issues with what he was doing. And even the people closest to him were really confused, had mixed ideas about what his mission was. 
in the context for a last lesson last week. So it was in the verses that came shortly afterwards uh, in Mark chapter eight. There, there was this really like back and forth, abrupt conversation between Jesus and his disciples. It, abrupt in that it, it starts off really positive. Like Jesus is like, who do people say I am? And they talk about the, the, the different answers. And then Peter makes this great confession. Well, who are, you know, when Jesus asks, who am I? Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it. And then Jesus proceeds to tell them, okay, so now I'm going to detail for you. This is how I'm going to carry out my work. This is how I'm going to, to bring the healing. I'm going to be the Messiah. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And to that, Peter pulls him aside and he's like, no way. You can never do that. And then Jesus goes from saying, yeah, you got it, to saying, get behind me, Satan. Like, what, what an abrupt switchover. Great, you see I'm the Christ. Boom, you say I can't, I, I, I can't die, get behind me, Satan. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is, even with the people who are following him, where they're seeing things, they're excited, and yet at the same time, not really getting it. Well, there's some reason to this, and there's backstory to this. And the better we keep in mind the backstory to this, the better we can understand the confusion, and then also what Jesus says and does in the midst of the confusion. And the better we can understand what Jesus says and does in that confusion, the better we can understand what Jesus says and does in our confusion. So that's why we always want to keep this backstory in mind, to remind ourselves that God made this promise to Abraham, I'm going to turn you into a great nation through your offspring, so through your nation and through one specific offspring, I'm going to bring healing to the whole world, blessing to the whole world. And over time, God made it clear that specifically this offspring would come from the line of David and that he would be a king. Through that king, this promise would go forward blessing to the whole world, healing to the whole world. But unfortunately, God's people didn't stay holding on to that promise again and again. They turned away from God and worshiped other gods to the point that, that much of God's people, much of those descendants, many of those descendants of Abraham actually were taken off. And that nation, in many ways, was destroyed. There was just a small segment left, the, the southern kingdom of Judah. And even they turned away from God again and again so that they were taken off by the Babylonians into captivity. They have a really difficult history. But... Hope still remained that God would bring this king because God, well, he keeps his promises. And also, he brought a remnant of the people back to the land. When he brought them back to the land, even though the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians, they rebuilt the temple, and you still have God's people there. And so there's this continued hope that God is going to bring this descendant of David. He's going to bring this promise into fruition to bring blessing to the world and healing. But after the people are brought back, there's, there's a difficulty. One, when they see the temple, they look at it, and it, it's nothing compared to what it was before. So there's sadness, like, okay, is it really going forward? But also, there's all this, there's a sequence of other nations that ends up having power over them. This is actually the, the book of Daniel, when you look at all the prophecies, is actually foreseeing this whole sequence of events where one nation would have power. You've got the Babylonians, then you've got the Persians, and Greeks and so on, you have this series of nations that would have power over them. And so here they are thinking, okay, we're going to have a king who's going to come and bring blessing to the world, but we just keep being under the thumb of these other nations. And so by the time you get to the time period of Jesus, and this is when the Romans have power over them, it looks to the people, to many of the people, that the issue 
the problem, the roadblock to God coming through on his promise is the Romans. You know, because how can a king bring blessing to the whole world if these Romans have power over us? And so many of the people were looking for a Messiah, a king figure who would overthrow the Romans. Because if you think this is the problem, you look for a solution to match. If you are convinced that the problem is the Romans, is them, then you're going to look for a solution, someone to deal with that problem and overthrow the Romans. This is what many people are looking for. And this is part of the confusion in the time of Jesus. There's something else we need to recognize too, is that many of the people, some of the religious leaders, after they came back from the captivity and so on, starting from a good place, and this is something we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, but again, it's good to keep in our minds, is that many of the people then started putting an emphasis back on the law. They realized God's people had turned away from him in various ways. That led to destruction. Now we need to focus on keeping God's law. And so in many ways, there are some good attempts there. However, the focus ended up going too much on the law in many ways. Too many follow this and do that and do this and, and do that. The focus really became there. And you end up having these religious elite who kind of rose up, who were really good at following the law, and they felt really good about it. And it ended up being something that, that helped them distinguish themselves from the common people and even a way of control. There ended up being some selfish motives that, like, if you don't do things the way we think you should do it, then therefore you can't be part of our main group, the elites. So you have this overemphasis on doing the things of the law that is also contributing to the difficulty that the people are having in seeing Jesus here, which is part of why Jesus has this message for us and for them, really encouraging us to go back, go past what you see, to go past this blurry vision that you have in front of you, that this misguided vision, to, to look deeper and to see what's really going on. This confusion about Jesus, it's not just in the people at large, and it's not just even in his disciples. When you look at the events that lead right up to our sermon lesson, it's interesting. We see Jesus' brothers actually also had confusion about him. We're told that his brothers told him that he should go up to Judea. There's a feast going on, and they're like, hey, if you want to be, if you want to be well known, if you want to be a leader, you know, if you want to lead a whole group and, and be this figure, you know, you can kind of see it in their, in their, their words. Like they're, they're thinking of Jesus wanting to be this like military leader who leads the Romans or so on. They're like, you got to go down and do those miracles in front of people. You got to go down to the feast and show it off if you really want to lead people and get a big gathering and so on. They didn't get it. And I know just a side note, just imagine being Jesus's brother. Like what a, what a crazy, you know, family dynamic that would have been, right? Jesus' brothers, they didn't get it. Jesus says, no, I'm not going down with you guys. I'm not going down publicly. He hangs back, but then we were told in the background verses that we read, that Jesus does halfway through go up to the festival, but he does it privately. He doesn't do it for everybody to see, so that at the right time, he then can get up and speak, and speak the message he wants to speak. In his message, he covers a bunch of different stuff, but if you look at it, there's a, there's a theme that kind of ties together what he's saying, and he's really encouraging people to look deeper at what's going on. When the people are marveling, like, how does he have this, this, this teaching? Because he hasn't been trained like the religious elite have been trained. Jesus encourages them to look deeper. 
see that what I'm saying here is not giving myself glory, but it's actually giving God glory, that it actually matches the Father. And if you see that what I'm saying matches the Father, if you look deeper and see that there's someone behind it, you can see that what I'm speaking is true. And you can also see that I'm not just coming here in my own accord, that I've been sent by someone. If I'm speaking to glorify the Father, I've been sent by the Father. Look deeper at what I'm saying. He encourages them to look deeper at the law. He talks about, you've been given the law by Moses. There's all this focus on the law. But he says, not one of you actually keeps it. And then maybe the last one is, is one of my favorite ones because it's just such a, it just strikes me as, is something that sinful people would do. When Jesus says, why are you trying to kill me? They're like, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? In the verses that come right after our sermon lesson, do you know what people say? Isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? After the sermon lesson, they say that. They say, Isn't this the guy that they're trying to kill? Why is he out talking in public? People knew people were trying to kill him, but when Jesus calls it out, like, no one's trying to kill you. You're demon-possessed. Jesus is pushing the people to look deeper at what's really going on and not just settle for, for what you can put up on the surface. Look deeper. And that's what our lesson is about today, too. Our lesson, when it begins, and it says, Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you're all astonished. Now, the word astonished can have a, a, a positive aspect, like, wow, it's amazing. But it also can have more of a negative um, astonished, depending on the context. And that's really more what we see here, because the people were shocked at something that Jesus did. They were astonished that he was able to do miracles, but specifically in our lesson today, they were astonished that Jesus was doing something, that he was doing miracles on the Sabbath day. Two weeks ago, when I was blessed to share the message here at our Cottage Grove location, we talked about one of these occurrences where Jesus gave sight to a man born blind. That lesson actually takes place two chapters after this lesson today. So Jesus isn't referring to that one at this point. One that comes before this lesson today is when he actually has a crippled man get up and be healed on the Sabbath. On this day that God had given the people where he had told them to stop, to rest, to celebrate what God had done for them, and to look forward to the ultimate rest and hope and healing that he was going to bring them. The people were astonished that he would do this work of healing somebody on the Sabbath. But in our lesson, he, Jesus goes on and says, yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. So first of all, he's talking about Moses giving the law, but he points out, okay, circumcision is something that didn't actually originate with Moses. This is something like we read in that first background verse today was originally given to Abraham as part of that covenant promise. And Jesus says, well, you know, if it's the Sabbath day, and if that's the eighth day after a child's been born, and you know, the, the law says that you are to circumcise a child on that day. If it's a Sabbath day, you do the work of circumcising a child. You go ahead and do that on that day, on that Sabbath day. So now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? If you can do that work of circumcising, why can't I do the work 
of healing someone. Now, it's interesting. I, when I had read through this previously, just in my, in my devotional reading, it's like, okay, well, Jesus is saying you work, and so well, then why can't I work? But when I looked deeper this week, I saw something else in this. And see someone in this, this whole man phrasing. Circumcision, and, and if any of the families, if you've got young kids, just all you need to know, young kids, is that it's a procedure that is done to the private area of a boy, not a big deal, but something that they could see visually that would point them to the covenant, okay? It's something done to a small area of the body, though. There's a contrast. Circumcision is done to one part of the body. Jesus talks about healing the whole man. One small area, one whole man. It's kind of like one piece of the puzzle or the whole puzzle. Jesus is saying, you could do this one thing. Why are you angry for me for doing the whole thing? And notice, too, the word that he uses in this context. When he's talking about circumcision and he's talking about what he's doing that day, it's in the context of healing. When you just look at circumcision on the surface of what it is, it just looks like a procedure done to boys. But is that all it is? We got to look deeper. In that background verse that we read from Genesis chapter 17, verse 11, it said, You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. See, circumcision wasn't the end. That's not all you were to see. Actually, it was to be a sign. And when you have a sign, like when you're going somewhere, and if you're going down the freeway and it says Cottage Grove, this exit, if you're at that point, have you actually arrived at your destination yet? Or does that tell you where to get off? The sign points you to something. It's not where you are. It's the pointer. It's not really the, it's not, you're not, oh, we're, you know, maybe you say we're here, but really what you mean is we're almost, we're just about there. And that's what circumcision is, too. It's, it's a sign to the covenant. And what is the covenant that God would bring, would turn Abraham into a great nation, would bring healing through his offspring, especially one particular offspring? It's a pointer to something. And even the Sabbath day, like we read in our Colossians lesson, is a shadow. A shadow can look like something. It can have the shape of something, but it's not that actual something. It is a, a picture, a pointer to that something. And Jesus says, if you could do this, this circumcision, which really isn't just about doing this thing, what you're doing on the Sabbath day when you circumcise someone on the Sabbath day is actually celebrating a sign of the healing to come. And if circumcision is a sign of the healing to come, and that's you can go ahead and do that on the Sabbath day, then take a deeper look at what I'm doing. Circumcision pointed is a small thing that pointed to the healing that would eventually come through that promised offspring of Abraham. Jesus is here. He says, look, you did that in that small point. That's the sign. I'm here, and I'm healing the whole man. What's going on with Jesus? Jesus is the one bringing the healing that Circumcision and the Sabbath have been pointing to all along. What Jesus is doing isn't out of line with the Old Testament. Actually, what he's doing is that he's bringing the whole healing. He's the one who, who is, isn't just doing one part of the body, but he's, he's, he's healing, he's helping cripples walk, giving sight to the blind. But even more than that, he's the one who comes and with his life can heal the whole person, all of you. 
When you take a look at what's going on, and you take a look at and look deeper what circumcision is, and take a look deeper then at what Jesus is doing, don't just see someone doing a work on the Sabbath. Take a look and see that he is fulfilling the Sabbath, and that he is the one all of this has been pointing to all along. I want to do something uh, a bit different than, than I typically do in our sermon lesson today. Two weeks ago, uh, when I was here, we watched a video about the Sabbath and about how it pointed ahead to the Savior, pointing ahead to, to the Messiah and what he would bring. Usually, after we use a video, we make a point to not use it for a while. But today, since we're talking about the Sabbath again, and since we're seeing how it all points to him, I'm going to show it to you again. Because the more we can realize how things like the circumcision, which points to the covenant, which is all about Jesus, and the more that we can see that the Sabbath is all about Jesus, the better we can look deeper and see who Jesus really is. And then we can see better how he really relates to us and see deeper the rest and healing he brings. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans, who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power, and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness, where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost. Life is a struggle. They're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day, they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest, called 
the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven, everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate jubilee of freedom and rest would come, but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath, and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. The practice of circumcision in the Old Testament pointed to the covenant, the promise that God would send someone to bring rest, to bring healing. Sabbath pointed to the promise of the covenant that God would bring rest, God would bring healing. When you look deeper at what was going on there, when you look deeper at that practice of circumcision, you see a sign pointing to healing. When you look deeper at the Sabbath day, you see a day celebrating the healing. So that when you look at Jesus, you don't just see a healer. If you look deeper, you see the promise fulfilled. And you see the one who brings the healing that the world needs and that you and I so desperately need too. In him, you see the healer when you look deeper. Now, people don't always see that healer when they look at Jesus. People don't always look deeper. At the end of our lesson, it says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. And that word appearances is basically saying, stop judging by what you see. You see a law that you're supposed to do this and do that. You see a practice where you circumcise boys. You see someone who is making people well. But if that's all you see and you're basing your judgments on what you see, then you are judging incorrectly. Stop basing your judgments on what you see so that you can judge rightly. But you know, it's hard sometimes to get past just the surface of what you see. There were some things preventing the people in this lesson from seeing past the surface of what you see. This is where that background review comes in. 
Because the better, again, we can understand what was going on in their minds and hearts, the better we can think about what goes on in our own minds and hearts. You have a lot of people this time, remember, who are convinced that the problem is this group of people, this other nation, the Romans. And so they're looking for a solution that matches. And when you think the problem is out there and you're looking out there, it's hard to look deeper in here. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this week um, with dad recovering, you know, when, uh, let's say when he got, had that dizzy spell during the week, if we were convinced that the problem was environmental, that there was something in the house causing that, if we would spend all the time searching the house to figure out what it is, we would spend all our time searching there instead of doing the scan and look deeper to make sure everything was fine in here. You know, if you're looking out there, you don't spend the time looking in here. If you're convinced the problem is there, it distracts you and redirects you from looking deeper to see the real problem. Remember, too, that the people are living in a time where there's this real strong emphasis on the law. These things that you do that you can see. The focus is on things that, are, that you can see that people do. So they're already focused there, but also, you know, there are some real poles to keep your focus there. Because it's easier to focus on a list of things to do. You can go through like, I did this, 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 check them all off, good. And if you're good at following that list, it's even easier to stay there because, man, you can start feeling awfully good about all these things on the list you checked off. You know, if you're good at being good, then you can walk around and feel real good about yourself. It can fuel self-righteousness. So you don't want to give that up. You want to keep focusing on what you can see. And actually, like we see in Jesus' day, for those who were the religious elites who were good at being good, what you see ended up being something that really helped them distinguish themselves from others, helped them feel good about themselves, and actually was part of how they try to keep the status quo and keep their power and authority. Focusing on what we do can be easier. It can actually make us feel better, and it can help us have this this self-righteousness where we were, it's, it's easy to just kind of push off and point our fingers at others and can help us just, you know, go forward with life as we like it. Looking deeper is harder. Looking deeper means seeing that the real problem was never out there. The real problem wasn't the Romans. The real problem is never some other nation. It's not those people over there. It's not some governmental leaders. That's never, that's not the real problem. The real problem is always the sinfulness, the sin that lies in every human heart, including by nature our own. So looking deeper means admitting that what's broken about this world is not out there, but it's in here. And naturally, we are broken. And the world is broken because broken people are in it. The real problem is not out there, but rather if we look at the world, we can see that we ourselves contribute to what makes it broken. That's hard to admit. It's a lot easier to just point, can you believe that and them and this and that? It's harder to look deeper. But when you look deeper then you can see what's really going on inside and you can get a proper diagnosis of the problem. 
And when you get a proper diagnosis of the problem, then you're prepped to see the healer. That's when you can look deeper at Jesus and see that he, he, he's, he's not just a miracle worker and he's not someone who just does stuff on the Sabbath, but he's the one who came to give the healing that not just the world, but I need. And then you can look deeper and, and, and see the, the, the beauty of the cross where Jesus was broken for us. Where Jesus took everything, all those wrong, all those ways we contributed to the brokenness of the world, it was all placed on him. And if he died there, which he did, that means that all of our sin, all those things we've ever done wrong, it all died there with him too. It's there we can see that he took away all of our brokenness, but then he didn't stay dead. He rose to a new life. And if he rose to a new life, when we believe in him, when we're brought to faith in him, we have a new life too. It's there we can see healing, real healing, because there it's, we can see how we are set right with God. That when he looks at us, he doesn't see us as broken anymore. He doesn't see us as a contributor to what's wrong in this world anymore. He sees us as clean, forgiven, healed in his sight. And if he sees us this way, we can believe and be assured that sometimes we're, we're, we're going to experience life really this way. We're going to feel what it's like to not be broken anymore. Someday we're going to know what it's like to not contribute to what's wrong in the world anymore, but actually to, to, to live in a perfect world the way it was meant to be, the way we were designed to live. And when we look deeper and see that that's who Jesus is, that he brings that healing, not only do we see Jesus clear, but we have his Holy Spirit working in our hearts, which invites us to look again at everything we're seeing in our world, and to say, you know what? Was I looking at the surface, or is there something deeper I can see? When you look at Jesus, look deeper. Look again at him and see who he really is. He's not just, he's not just, he's not a rule maker. He's not a, someone who just is a distant figure. He is the one who came to heal the world, starting with you personally. He is here to heal you. That's what he came for. And look again at Jesus and see that when he teaches what he teaches, it's not just things that he just wants you to try to do this or try to do that. When you look at the word of God, this is the message God wants to speak to your heart so he can communicate his love to you and so he can lay out for you how you get to walk with him. When you read the Bible, look again at that and look deeper. You're not just reading a book. You're not just reading an app on your phone. You are actually hearing the words God himself wants you to hear. And that God himself promises has the power to transform you. We get to, to, to look again at things like baptism. And don't just look at the, 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 the surface and go, okay, it's when we put water in a baby three times. Yeah, okay, but look deeper. Because it's this sacrament where a baby is an encountered or an adult, whoever, whatever age you are, when you're baptized, encounters the love of God is adopted as a child in God's family who is baptized into Christ so that what is true of Christ becomes true of them becomes true of us, is true of you. Look deeper at the Lord's Supper that we're going to take here in worship. And as a reminder, you can always register. If you're worshiping online, you can register to come in and do it as an individual household. That's offered this afternoon. I think there's still a time slot available before the Packer game. Get it fast. You're not just taking bread. And you're not just drinking wine. It's the real body and blood of Christ. Look deeper and see that you are celebrating that the creator of the world, the one who came to heal people, lives in you. 
And the same one who lives in you lives in every other Christian who believes in him. And you are united as the body of Christ. We might feel small and weak, but look around. The world is full of the body of Christ, and Christ is powerful. Look around and see. Look again and look deeper and see that what real power looks like. Sometimes in this world we can feel like, what's going on and what, 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 what's all happening? Remember, it's when things look the most broken that God is often doing his best work. Remember that God accomplishes things not by the way the world defines power, not through powerful leaders and impressive things, but when transformed hearts are filled with the love of God and then overflow with loving other people, this is how the world has changed. Look again and see. Look again at your life and look deeper and see that this is not just another day, that you are here for a purpose. If God didn't have a reason for you or in a job for you to do today, you wouldn't be here. You know he's got heaven waiting for you. If he didn't have something significant for you to do, don't you think he'd have you there already? Look again at your day and see how significant it is and how significant every person who was here around you is. Look again and look deeper and see that they are someone created by God who Jesus died for and who God has already either sent his spirit into so that they see him or he wants to send his spirit into so they are renewed in his image. Look again and look deeper. We could go on and on about all the things we get to look deeper at. But I'm not going to, one, because I don't want to keep you here all day but also because I want to give you the opportunity to not just go, okay, this is how my pastor says I should see things differently. I want you to do it yourself. Look again at everything in your life and look deeper. Start with the Savior, start with Jesus, and look deeper and see he's the healer. Look deeper at his word and at his sacraments, his means of grace, how he meets you with his love. Look deeper and see how the Spirit now fills you and as the Spirit fills you and empowers you, look deeper at everything in your life. It is amazing what we can see when we look deeper.